And uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to do a little two-week mini-series here, uh, a little two-week mini-series where we're going to kind of explore Crossroads 2023. Now, what year is it? 2022, right? Some of you said 2019. You're, you're, you're off. Like some things have happened since then, right? But it is 2022. But for our church, this is the launch of our 2022-2023 ministry year. So our ministry year kind of goes from September to August. And so we want to spend the next two weeks just kind of looking at where we're focusing and what does it mean for us to be a church? What do we believe the Spirit is kind of guiding us into over this next 12-month period, right? And so we want to kind of launch into that today. And today's Labor Day. So what we really want to do is talk about us in our individual everyday lives and kind of look at a vision for that. And, and hopefully, for some of you, this will not be new, right? Most of learning is being reminded, right? Hopefully, this won't be new. For some of you who might be new to Crossroads, maybe you're tuning in for the first time. So give you, I think today, we'll give you a big idea of like our heart as a church is about equipping us in our everyday normal lives, right? That's a big part of it. How many of you um, have ever had a job of some sort? Raise your hand up nice and high. Any kind of job at all? Keep your hand up nice and high if you've had a job you didn't like. Keep your hand up nice and high if you're in a job you don't like right now. I don't want to see... Dennis, why is your hand up? Or, oh, you're just scratching your head. Okay, I was very confused there for a second. Dennis is one of our pastors here. So that was weird. But uh, no, like we all have that experience, right? I remember as a kid, the commercial, like the Dunkin' Donuts commercial. You remember the Dunkin' Donuts commercial? The guy wakes up, you got to be kind of older like me. And he's like, time to make the donuts, right? Just like walking in, making donuts, right? We've all had those experiences in life, the jobs that it's just a job. I had a, a very good friend who, like in his life, he never saw his work as like career or a space to find meaning from. It was just a job. It was where he paid his bills. And you could really never get him to smile about work, right? It just, it wasn't his thing. He was like, I just, this is a necessary thing I have to do in my life. For some people, we all have those experiences. For some, it feels like every day of our lives, maybe. For others, there's seasons, right? But what I want to talk about today as what is as a peacemaker, right? And that's the way I like to talk about Christian spirituality as an invitation to be a peacemaker in this world. Like what can we infuse as peacemakers into this celebration that we have in our culture uh, we call Labor Day? And what can we infuse into it that, that kind of is unique to this interesting call of Christ Jesus on our lives, right? So I'll make an assumption that if you're tuning in or if you're here on Labor Day weekend, right? There's, I mean, I'm paid to be here, which is why I'm here this weekend, okay? Let's not make any mistake about it, right? But like you're here because I think and I hope there's a sense in you that says, I want to be a peacemaker. Like I'm interested in my soul care. I'm interested in the reality, the image of God in me, right? And so like, let's just put that out there that maybe that's a, that might be an assumption. You might be like, you were told you could go to the barbecue as long as you came to church today. You know, maybe that's why you're here, which is cool. Like totally cool. I get it, right? But let's, working assumption that on Labor Day weekend, the majority of people that are in church really say, hey, I want the centrality of my life to, to, to recognize that I'm a whole person and that involves spirituality, okay? So how do we take this call of Christ Jesus and, and infuse it into our understanding of work and labor and, and how that can maybe shift us? Ephesians 4.1, this letter that was written, and we have it in the New Testament, it says, I then, uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, right? to live in a manner worthy of the call you've received. Now, this verse in my 
you know, kind of opinion gets hijacked by judgmental, morally-minded religion. So the idea of living a life worthy of the call of Jesus turns into don't do this, 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 right? And I think it kind of gets hijacked. And moralistic religion, what happens when that verse gets hijacked and we start thinking, oh, I got to live in a manner worthy of the call of Jesus, that means I'm not allowed to dance, right? I'm not allowed to go to the movies. I'm not allowed to listen to this music. I'm not allowed to live with a person before I get married. I'm not allowed to do, when we have all the, I'm not allowed to do stuff. Moral religion creates an unhealthy divide in our lives. I know some of you have been anxiously waiting for that first fill and I, I saw it in your eyes. When that verse went up, some of you were like, oh, there's got to be a fill-in, right? Right? So there's this unhealthy divide that that mentality can bring. And this divide we call secular and sacred. Y'all ever heard those words before, secular and sacred? And I actually think this is a very unhealthy divide for the, the follower of Jesus, the peacemaker. Because what happens is when we live in this divided world, we become divided people. We become split-souled people, double-minded, right? In one sense of the word. And what happens is when we have this like secular and sacred world, the tendency creates what I'll call unbaptized areas in our life, right? If baptism is an immersion into the way of Jesus, right, is an immersion into a radical love, what happens is, well, we have these areas that we say, well, that's, that's impossible to be baptized, right? And so we think of spaces that, that do not have the light in them. We have spaces that are not filled with the divine. They're just these moments or these spaces that we kind of say, we have to tolerate them. I have to tolerate existing over here because it's like a dirty, contaminated space. And that's what like moralistic religion creates, that divide. Well, that's just secular. And so for some, even within Christian faith in the world, like the workplace becomes one of those spaces this space where I just have to tolerate it, this space where, you know, I just, I, I, I go and I get contaminated and I've got to get the secular off of me, all right? And so these spaces, right, they ultimately become places that we think should be avoided, right? Oh, I, 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 as soon as I can get out of that space, the better off I am. And here's the thing, in this divided way of life, living in a manner worthy of the call of Christ Jesus becomes about separation and exclusion, right? It becomes about how do I make myself different? How do I stay away from the company picnic? I need an excuse, right? I've already got enough contamination happening to me Monday through Friday. I don't need it on Saturday, right? And so there's this separation in order that we stay pure. Ultimately, it's a, a, an expression of purity religion. And I actually think it's completely different than the way of Jesus, right? A way of immersing ourselves into all of life seeing the openness, seeing the unity of all things, right? And so I want to look at a statement that Jesus makes where he calls his followers in this moment to like lift up their eyes, to look around them and see the world uniquely. And so in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37, I think we can get some wisdom around how do we see our kind of life in a holistic sense and what that vision. I love that we sang that song, like, give me wisdom, give me vision to see things like you do today. Because that's, I think, what we're hoping for. Now, 
let me say this right now. Some of us are retired. How many retired people in the room? How many? We don't like you, but that's great. I'm happy for you. No, like retired people, that's awesome. And you might say, well, I don't have work, but you do, right? Because this is, this is a laboring that we're going to talk about today. So I want to make sure everybody understands when I talk about work, I'm not talking about a place that you go get a paycheck from, especially when it comes to like the spiritual call of Christ in our lives, right? So here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, first gospel in the New Testament, if you're new to Bible study, it, we have four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us about this person, Jesus, his life, his death, his teachings. Uh, they do it from a unique perspective. They were written for communities that had unique issues, unique problems that focused on aspects about Jesus. They're teaching us theology through a his, kind of a historical lens, right? So Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus went around to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. Right? So Jesus would travel, and he'd go to where the people would gather for community, which was the synagogue. And in that space of community, it says he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel of the kingdom for Jesus, remember, was that the kingdom is here. Right? The gospel of the kingdom for John the Baptist was the kingdom is coming. You better get ready. Jesus says the kingdom is here. Right? It's here. Now, and, he, and it says that he was curing every disease and illness. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage altogether. So Jesus goes into the synagogue. He teaches about a kingdom of God that is here and present in all things, all around us. And he says, I'm going to start healing diseases and illnesses. And one thing you should always remember as you in engage with Jesus in the Gospels is that illness and disease made an outsider uh, of people, right? So if you had an illness, if you had a disease, you were an outsider to the synagogue. Right, depending upon the nature and the variety of that degrees, oftentimes that illness, that disease would be considered your punishment, your just punishment from God. But there was no space for you because you were unclean, right? It was a matter of purity. And what Jesus comes proclaiming is that the cure, right, for these diseases is not Rome, it's not religion, it's not the synagogue, it's a better understanding of God. It's a better understanding of this crazy, inclusive kingdom of God that is at work all around us. Sometimes I have this kind of crazy thought, and as I've read certain scholars, like that there's a difference between curing and healing. And Jesus was about the cure. And so this is just a crazy thought, okay? So just store this as one of Ryan's crazy thoughts, okay? That I wonder if sometimes the gospel writers are telling us that the cure was Jesus going into these spaces like the synagogue and proclaiming the goodness of God on all people, including all people, which basically says you can no longer exclude them. <laughs> you can't keep them out of the synagogue, right? And so, so I think we should understand along with physical healing, there's a deep point, there's a deep theology that's being made here by the, by the healing of disease is the greater disease was the exclusion of out of the community and having no space. Because Jesus would teach this reality of an inclusive kingdom of God that was for all people, that there was this God that was like a, a, sh a shepherd who would go out and find the lost sheep, right? And, and that beautiful picture was this space of healing something and curing the deeper disease, right, of exclusion and being an outcast. And Jesus comes along saying, you can no longer view people as unworthy. You can no longer view people as not being able to be a part of it. And so the text says this, it says that at the sight of the crowds, when Jesus would see crowds gathered around him as he would travel around and teach, his heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. I love that Jesus' vision, his heart was marked by compassion for the outsider. 
See, the crowds that would come to Jesus that he would be moved by compassion were the ones that were, were hungry for the healing message of Jesus. They were hungry for that space of, of I'm a part. I am not an outsider. I am loved. I am worthy of, of love. I'm worthy of this community. And those were the crowds that would come. And so as he looks at these crowds, and as his heart is filled with compassion, he makes this statement. And this is how, how Matthew uses this statement. He says to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. And I think the assumption for Jesus is you're one of the laborers, but there's not many of you. Look at this crowd. Look at all the pain. Look at all the hurt. Look at all the exclusion. The laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. In that moment, I think Jesus knew that the demand would always outweigh the supply. <laughs> the demand for compassion, the demand for love, the demand for inclusion, the demand for healing would always outweigh the supply. There's just too much pain. There's too much evil. There's too much absence of love. And so as we gather on this kind of Labor Day weekend as people committed not to moralistic religion, not for the de determination of who's in and who's out and how do you stay pure, like I don't want us to miss that in this moment where Jesus calls for laborers, he's modeling the way of divine work. He's modeling it for us. And that is compassionate inclusion. The manner worthy of the call of Jesus is a life lived with a vision and eyes to recognize that the field is ripe for people to be loved. The field is ripe for those that in any culture, in any day and age, would exclude and say impure. The manner of a life worthy of the call of Jesus is to say, no, that's antichrist. Because you see, Jesus didn't live in a divided world, right? He didn't. Even though his world was very divided, he chose to live differently in the middle of it because he understood God, he understood the Father, the kingdom of God, the reign of God to be present in all things and for all people. And what's fascinating about this is Jesus, whom Christians profess as God incarnate, never seemed to be bothered by sin. Isn't that interesting? never seemed to be bothered by it. Everybody else bothered by it. But Jesus like, made it a point to invite himself to the party of the sinners. Right? Like, he was like, I'm going to come and have dinner with you. Let's go do this. He wasn't ever bothered by whatever words you want to use, sin, the false self, the shadow side, the negative, the flesh, as Paul would say. It's like Jesus just knew it was part of the deal. It's just part of the deal. And so he included it. He didn't exclude it. He didn't call it good, right? He didn't baptize and say, well, this is wonderful. No, but he just, he didn't feel any need to be separated from it. Now, this like fundamental reality of Jesus should shift our whole understanding of God if we've been taught that God is somehow separated from us by our sin. Does that sound familiar? Now, this can really mess with you, but it will radicalize your, it's probably not a good word, I shouldn't use that word, it will intensify your love for the divine and for Jesus when you recognize what Jesus is saying is that premise that sin separates you from God is a false premise that's driven by a fundamental lie that plagues humanity. It changes everything. Jesus saw no reason to be separated from people because of what we call sin. What did he do? He just accepted it. He absorbed its power, in a sense, 
transformed it in his life and returned it into the world as love. I was walking over from the house this morning to church and I was listening to a podcast uh, and the, the person said, uh, sin is the absence of love. I thought to myself, where was that when I was spending thousands and thousands of dollars in undergraduate and graduate school to prepare to be a minister of the God? Like, that seems to sum it up really well. Sin is just the absence of love. And with the cross and the image of the resurrection is a transformation of those spaces where there's an absence of love. And I think this is really the mystery hidden behind what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. You might have heard this before where Paul says, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who did not know sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? I don't believe that this is about I'm supposed to like live that separate pure life and then I can be around God because now I'm righteous morally. I don't think those are the words because the righteousness of God is the restorative justice of God. The righteousness of God is the, is the right reality of being with one another, right? It's compassionate inclusion of everyone, not bothered by sin. You know why it's not, why we shouldn't be bothered by sin? Because guess what? Today, what you think of as sin, there will come a revelation where you go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And so to hold the reality of pain and brokenness and absence of love is powerful, but to get into like who's got the worst ones and which ones should be we out and in, that just destroys community. It destroys the gospel work in our lives. So I think this is what it means to be the good shepherd. <laughs> Compassion and inclusion, to go out and find the sheep. Right? That's the good shepherd. That's the call to be a shepherd in our own world. Right? That's how sin loses its power over this world is when we just declaw it like Jesus. Like he wasn't bothered by it, never bothered by it, just included. And so we have these beautiful passages like, what can separate us from the love of God? And we say it, and we're like, nothing except sin. Like, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. That, that's it. Jesus knew this, right? And so Jesus knew if nothing can separate us from the love of God, and if I'm supposed to love perfectly as my Father in heaven is perfect, then what should separate me from you? Nothing. So the, that manner worthy, the way in which we do our work, the way in which we see our lives is grounded in this Jesus idea of radical compassionate inclusion. And so in your everyday normal life, as we think about this call, right? That the fields are ripe for a harvest, right? People longing, desiring to be loved fully, regardless of what we might think of as sin or not sin or anything like that, but just to be loved with humility. Some questions for us as we go into those spaces we'll call work, right? First question is, you got to identify your field. Where is your field? Where is your field with sheep in need of a good shepherd? Where is that space that you find yourself where there is a lack of love. Where is that space? There's a lack of joy, peace, patience. Like there is a field where there's a lostness, where there's not joy flourishing. There's unrest, there's peace. In fact, there's maybe an abundance of things like fear. There's an abundance of greed. There's an abundance of mistrust, right? The opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe that's your work right? You're, where you go and labor and they give you a paycheck. Maybe it's your home where you go and labor and love and care for one another. Maybe it's a hobby that you engage in that you're a part of. That you just recognize, oh, there's just a lot of hurt here. 
Maybe it's your church. Maybe you're here visiting from another church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe it's your church. You go, boy, there's not much joy in this area. I got to get in there and labor. Where's the field that the harvest is ready? Those places where the Spirit of God is giving you opportunities to bring freedom to the captive, to give sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the prisoners, to proclaim this is the year of the favor of our God. What Jesus said was the gospel. So once you kind of identify and think about your field, like really do that for a second. Like take a moment and on your little talk notes there, just like write one space that maybe is your field, right? One space that maybe is your field. If you're at home, just think about it. If you're filling along online or whatever, just one space that maybe is your field. And then the question becomes, in kind of crossroads language, is will you be an orange dot of hope in that field in 2023? Like, will this be the space that you go into and say, this is my field, and I will bring compassion, inclusion, and love into this field? So I want to show you an image, right, of dots, okay? Now, the image here that I want to show you is on the left, you'll notice there's a hundred dots in each of these. The image on the left has one, two, three, four, five, seven dots on the right bottom corner all together. The image on the right has the same amount of dots all spread out, okay? So think of it like this, seven percent, and I don't know if this is true, but the, the seven dots, like seven percent of people are actively engaged in their faith journey, right? Seven percent. Now, the idea of church, right, is we come together in that bottom corner, and we gather, and that's wonderful. But we will never, ever be in the fields. We'll never bring hope. We'll never rewrite the unacceptables if that's where we rally, if we just stay in here. All the spaces where there's need to be love, all the dots that are out there. But when we commit to live our lives as orange dots of hope and disperse, scatter, we scatter love, we scatter grace, we scatter peace. And now we can engage and be very close to the spaces. And so what it means to be an orange dot of hope, right, is to take those values of crossroads peacemakers, what we talk about here of being wise, being fun. I know that's crazy for some of you to imagine. Fun, right? Be fun, inclusive, generous, creative. So we take those values and we commit to live those out in our world, in our everyday normal life. Do you know that 60% of employees, 60% of employees believe that their coworkers, the people they work with, are the biggest contributor to their happiness at work, right? So the people you work with, 60% of them believe that you are the number one reason as to whether they will have a joyful work experience. 74% of employees in the U.S. believe that company culture is one of the biggest contributing factors to job satisfaction. So if you are in charge of company culture, if it's your company, or if you're in the leadership team of that company, that means all those employees are looking to you to create a space of hope, to create a space of joy, a space of love. And I, and I can't imagine anything but the gospel of peace that can create a more open atmosphere and a more deep space of love that says you are whole and loved and welcomed. Your ideas are valuable. You're made in the image of God. We'll listen to you, right? This is going to be a fun place. This is going to be a place of wisdom, of inclusion, right? 
And so these two little statistics reveal the important part that you play in creating a hope-filled environment, either as a coworker or as a boss, right? That's the truth of it. And here's the big question. Here's the big question. Have you counted the cost of laboring in this field? Like before you go out there, like you got to count the cost. Because I will say this, working these fields leads to crucifixion. Because the radical love of God, this way of Jesus (laughs) that produces wholeness in this world, that produces fairness, that produces equity, that produces divine justice, will always be opposed by the normalcy of civilization, and it will always be opposed violently. And so you do have to count the cost to be this person who says, no, I'm going to find those spaces where there's pain and hurt and separation and exclusion, and I'm going to go to that space. And that is, uh, uh, reality is that is just a, a value that's so counter to especially our Western triumphant mentality, get to the top, rung of the ladder, make the most money, have the best car in the parking lot. Those are just not kingdom of God values. It's not that they're bad. I mean, have the best car in the parking lot. That way I know who to call when we have a giving campaign. Like, I'm all for that. If you're foolish enough to show it off, I'm foolish enough to call and ask, right? Like, let's just call it what it is, you know? Some of you are like, dang it, I got to take that Beamer back. (laughs) It's good to laugh, right? I mean, it's good to have fun. But these values, like, I just think there is this reality that it's a, we are peculiar people. But we don't have to be peculiar because of our do's and don'ts. We ought to be peculiar because of the radical love and inclusion at work that we bring. And here's what's really cool about this. When we live this out, when we, when we live in a manner worthy, right, when we look at the fields, when we choose to labor in that field as Jesus did with compassionate inclusion, creating those spaces, something really ha- beautiful happens, and that is like we start to build the common good. The common good. This phrase, the common good, is actually the first principle of Catholic morality. The first principle of Catholic morality is seek the common good, and it stems from this belief in the absolute sanctity of all life. So you seek the common good of everyone right? So the Vatican II defined the common good as this, the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups of people or as individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. Like, that's the common good. There's three kind of elements to the common good. Respect for all people, respect for the individual, right? Respect for the social well-being and development of the group, and a peace which results, right? A peace which results from the stability of a just society, right? What a beautiful reality. And it's not just the role of the government to do this, to provide for the common good. It's for every person, every person to embody this idea. And as followers of Jesus, we get it because for God so loved the world. It doesn't for God so loved the Christians or the Muslims or the Hindus or the atheists or the agnostics. For God so loved the world. I love to quote the Pope every now and then. Living or past Popes. It reminds us that we're all part of a bigger family. We don't have to be afraid of the Pope, okay, folks? We can actually choose to believe that God is at work through the Pope. 
So Pope Benedict wrote this. He said, the more we strive to secure a common good corresponding to the real needs of our neighbors, that's the more effective way that we love them. Every Christian is called to practice this charity in a manner corresponding to the degree of influence they wield in the polis. So the degree of influence that you have, it rests on the kind of common good that you can actually produce. So the broader your influence, the more the responsibility is. The narrower your influence, you still carry the responsibility, but you can't be responsible for your whole neighborhood if you're not like president of the HOA. I'm not advising you to be president of the HOA by any means, you know. So as we kind of wrap up today, what's God inviting you into? I hope that you sense God is inviting you to look for ways to live out this compassion and inclusion at your work this year, that you'll just kind of somehow put in your life a mechanism that says, no matter what my work is, no matter where I'm at, the high call of Christ in my life is to be hope in that environment. The hope is here wherever I am. And I, I think that's kind of like where you set your feet, right? That's like the old militarist language. This is God's love. I put my feet here. Like, this is God's territory now. And there's beauty in that metaphor, except we like baptize it in violence versus wherever I put my feet, the Spirit of God is present and love will win. Love will win. I can see people differently. So maybe God's inviting you to commit to living this peace, these peacemaking values at work, wisdom, inclusion, generosity, fun in your everyday normal life. And I would encourage all of us that would call ourselves peacemakers to answer Jesus' call that we would pray, that we'd pray for eyes to see other peacemakers in the fields that we labor, and that we'd partner with them, we'd recognize. Now listen to me, please listen to me. That's not like, oh, pray for another Christian to have a Bible study before work. I don't want you to hear me say that. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine, but just, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you look for other persons of peace. Look for other people that are looking for the common good. I don't care what religion they are. I don't care what ethnicity they are, how much money they have, where they are in the corporate ladder. You're looking for people that share those spirit kingdom of God values no matter what they call them, and you humbly come alongside and say, hey, we're in this together. Right? Pray for laborers in the field. So today we're going to do something kind of fun. I'm going to try to stand up. We're going to sing this song, Hope Has a Name. It says his name is Jesus. But I'd like for you to imagine that hope has a name and it's yours. <laughs> that when you go in, you represent Jesus. And so our room hosts are going to come forward and, and they're going to be uh, just kind of dispersed and there might be a few in the back. And um, if you can't come forward for whatever reasons, I would encourage a neighbor to look around and help with this. But we just have little stickers that say, it's an orange dot that says hope is here. And they just want to give you a sticker and we'll just put it on today as a reminder that where your feet step, like that's the compassionate inclusion, that's laboring in the field, that's hope, and that's a beautiful vision for our lives to live out. So we're going to sing Hope is, has a name. After you get your sticker, you come back to your table, sing the song, get your offering envelope ready, put it in the basket, uh, get your connect card ready, put it in the basket, and then I'll come back for our blessing here in just a moment. But I just invite you to enjoy this song, come forward, get your sticker. Put it on today, walk out, and just be that person of hope in this world and commit to that this year in your work. Our room hosts are receiving our offering in the connect cards. If for some reason you didn't see the basket or you're up in the back, you can always use the uh, 
Orange Hope is here kiosk. Next week, we're going to look at what John does with this little statement of Jesus. He kind of takes it in a totally different, not totally different, but it uses it differently. And so we're going to look at it next week, and we're going to talk about the gathered church next week in 2023 and where we believe the Spirit is kind of guiding us as a group and the power of that. So I hope you'll tune in. I hope you'll be here next week for that. So we have a blessing today to send us out. If you would do me the uh, just joy of opening up your heart for this blessing to receive in faith whatever part of it might be true and forget whatever part of it might be wrong. But may light guide your feet on the path of peace this week at work. And may love be an aura around you as you labor in your fields. And this week, may you find a deep sense of purpose wherever you work. And may you find the strength to follow the model of compassion and inclusion that Jesus gave us. May you immerse yourself in both the positive and negative realities of this life, just like Jesus, seeing all of life as sacred, filled with opportunities for your hands to be instruments of healing and peace. And for those listening, who are suffering from the wound of exclusion, from the pain of rejection or the evil of injustice, may you begin to find healing through the body of Christ. And may all of us be compassionate and inclusive orange dots of hope, the righteousness of God in Christ, traveling to our towns and our villages, curing every illness and disease that would destroy the common good. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an awesome Labor Day week, everyone.